Welcome, listeners, to episode seven of the Inside Swoop. Um, sadly, this week, without one of the uh, our founding trio, um, we've uh, lost one of our our key our key Inside Swoopers in Adam McNichol. Um, in the spirit of the times, uh, we've had to downsize and run with a skeleton swoop staff to uh, bring you this episode. Um, so farewell to Adam. We wish him well. Um, he's returning to the, the big wide world of publishing and uh, we look forward to seeing what he comes up with next. But as such, we march on and uh, with that, I welcome one of the surviving members of the Swoop team, the only other one than myself, Steve Riley, who is Marcus Wagner. Welcome to you, Wags. Hey. Thank you, Riles. Well, you've you've got Marcus Wagner back in, so that's that's good. And Adam will be very impressed with that uh, return of my alternate surname. But we've got, as always, two surnames: Wagner and Wagner. But that's all good, S. But yeah, over in sunny Perth now, um, sitting in my beautiful camper van, which I'll go into a bit later. But beautiful day over here in Perth, and um, yeah, might jump on the golf course a bit later and and have a cheeky nine once we're done with the podcast, Riles. Oh, and what, a G&T at five, is it, or something? I mean, come on, man. You're meant to be over there working, you know, slaving away to make sure that no, no well, stone is unturned. Well, we've we've picked up our schedule and just plonked it in over here, Riles. So today is a player's day off and also a staff day off. So we've got to be very mindful that we, uh, we're not overcooking things while we're in, in quarantine because it's very easy with access to players and staff to, to want to do more. Um, so we've got to be very mindful not to do more. So yeah, today is a day off. We finally got some sun. The first week over here was torrential rain for seven days. So that wasn't ideal, but yeah, beautiful day today. So um, yeah, we'll spend the morning ticking off a few things and then have hopefully have the afternoon off and uh, yeah, rematch versus our, um, our opposition analyst, Ash Collins, who I knocked off in a playoff hole yesterday in match play. So he, he wants to have, a, have another crack at me. So we'll, we'll have a go at that. Fair enough. To set the scene, listeners, um, uh, Wags is is uh, is calling or talking to you from a Winnebago, um, and his Winnebago, which is his temporary home, is one of seven, I believe. And if you can imagine the old wild westerns and and, and visions of circle of wagons being circled, that's exactly what that what this looks like. It's it's a seven Winnebago circled. There's a smoker, a barbecue, um, and a uh, sort of a, a gathering of the of the Collingwood tribe, if you like, um, on a on a golf course out in Joondalup. So um, well, uh, this is where the brains trust of the Collingwood Football Club is at at the moment. Correct, and um, just to give some context, it's so we're at the Joondalup Resort, uh, just north of Perth, on a on a golf course. It's a beautiful beautiful resort. We're very lucky to have got the resort, um, but there was limited capacity, so. Uh, given our travel party, five of us put our hands up to to come down to um, a little caravan park we've set up just to just to help us with capacity. And so yeah, we've we've got five of us down here. We've got uh, GM of football Jeff Walsh put his hand up, which was fantastic. Uh, I've got myself, Nick Maxwell, Robert Harvey, and our fearless leader at the moment, our COVID compliance officer Shannon Collins, or as we like to call him Shane. Um, He's also down here, so yeah, it's it's uh it's a unique experience. We're making the most of it, as as you said, we've set up some heaters, 
um, some tables and chairs. We've got a little outdoor telly where we can watch the footy. So we're making the most of it and we're having having a good time. But it was important that we made sure all the staff and players had had their own personal space while they were here. And we didn't want people sharing rooms. So um, yeah, we decided to come down here and, and we're having a great time. So yeah, another week or so in the in the vans before we moved to the city. But just um, just going through how we're set up here, we've 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 done really well. The guys at the AFL have done a fantastic job in, in setting the resort up as a yeah, we've set up a high performance gym here with all the equipment we need, which I know the strength and conditioning guys are loving. Um, allows us to to do our work on site, which which we kind of have to do as part of this quarantine measure. Uh, fantastic food, uh, big big dining room. I've uh, got got a swimming pool here which is probably more like an ice bath it's it's pretty fresh so the players uh jump in there to do their hydro and when we have to train we're training out at hbf arena in joondalup so it's only about a five minute drive down the road to get to the to the ground it's where west perth falcons play so it's a waffle ground it's a beautiful ground um, but that's the only time we can leave quarantine so we've had to tick off all our times with with waypole and the wa government make sure we're we're just in and out as quickly as we can when we get outside our quarantine zone. Um, do our do our football work on site uh, at HBF Arena, and then we come back to the resort uh, to our quarantine zone to do the rest of our our training, which is weights, hydro, all our meetings, our player tapes, and whatnot. So uh, we've set up a little footy department here um, in one of the office spaces, so so guys feel like they can go to work uh, and then return to their rooms, or in our case, our our trailers. Um, and treat that as, as their home and their personal space. So we don't want people doing too much work out of their personal space. So we think we've got the balance right here. The guys seem really happy. Um, and as I said, we're, yeah, we're lucky to have some green space around us. Um, guys can walk the golf course or, or have a hit when they want to now. Um, obviously not that often because we don't want to keep them off their legs a little bit as well. So they're not too heavy, but yeah, no roles really, really well set up here. But as I said, in, um, on Sunday, before we play West Coast, we'll have to pack and leave because the next next group of teams will be coming into into Joondalup. We'll clear quarantine and go into a, a city hotel where we'll have a, a few more freedoms to go out and get coffees and and whatnot, but still under the AFL protocol. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a fantastic experience so far. Mm. Um, so off to off to town um, for the final couple of games, and then as we understand it, we'll be out the following weekend after we play Fremantle uh, to Queensland for the next hub, which is likely to be where we're based for the rest of the season, however long that is. Uh, at this stage, we've got, we had some family and friends fly out last Friday um, and we've got another flight, chartered flight for Thursday the 30th, I believe it is, where the next phase or group of families and um, friends or partners, I suppose, to be more accurate, will fly out and spend some time with the players and the staff who are also um, at a distance from their families for a long stretch. Yeah, it's, it's, and that, that all happened very quickly, Riles. I think it was Thursday night, we kind of got the info from the AFL that, um, not Thursday night, sorry, Wednesday night, um, that there was potentially a first batch of families going up on the Friday so pretty much within 48 hours uh, so we had to kind of speak to our playing group again which given we we're playing Thursday night again we had to I guess bring up something outside of the game within 24 hours of the game which we don't like doing but what we've found is being totally transparent with our staff and players is, is being pivotal 
and and let them digest and, and make sense of the information. So yeah, we were told we could get some of our staff and and player partners and families up on this flight within 48 hours. And, and so we had to organize that, get lists to the AFL. Um, and, and we all did it pretty well. I think the players were really understanding and got, got us the information they need. And we got that first batch of families away on Friday. So they'll, um, they'll be quarantining up on the Gold Coast for 14 days where they're in, uh, I guess, a quarantine hotel. Uh, we've got multiple families in there, so they're all looking after each other, which is great. So after 14 days, they will then join us um, when we end up on the on the Sunshine Coast uh, once once the team gets over there. So that'll be that'll be great um, to see some families. And then, as you said, we've got a second, I guess, wave of families going up on the 30th of July. So that they're more families that I guess had to work through their work commitments and family commitments to, to get themselves organised. But we had a bit more time to. I guess, prepare for this second batch. So they'll fly up on the 30th. Again, have to do 14 days of quarantine once they get to the Gold Coast. And then once they clear that, they'll join us up on up on the Sunshine Coast as well. So mm. yeah, it's going to be really exciting for the group and for the players. You could see a real lift when they knew their families were going to, going to join us. I think the, the mood around the place on Thursday before the game against Geelong was really, really positive. Uh, we're all missing our families so much here. It's um, We're very busy, but at the same time, it's... It's really hard for everyone. I've, I've got two young kids, um, so it's it's been really challenging, and <laughs> they don't particularly like FaceTime too much. So they they kind of just kind of mm-hmm. blow me off <laughs> on the FaceTime, mm-hmm. but try and get some quizzes going and whatnot. But it's um, I think everyone's finding their own little challenges. But just having that light at the end of the tunnel, given we are now going to be away for the rest of the season, just have that light at the end of the tunnel to to see our families is is definitely giving the group a lift. Um, but yeah, so so far so good, Riles. We're we're two and zero in in hub life, um, which we're really proud of. The, the guys were fantastic against Geelong, given I guess the the amount of information they had to process in a twenty four hour period, and then to come out and perform was was amazing. And I guess looking at that game, it's just the the lift the players got from also playing in front of a crowd, and it was genuinely like a Collingwood home game. I think we got twenty two thousand there, but even running out to the ground. The Collingwood Army in, in WA went nuts. They could see the players were up on their toes. And it was just, it was a fantastic game of footy. I know it was low scoring. And we touched on this in one of our earlier podcasts. That was a high tempo quality game of footy, even though it was low scoring. And it was very slippery and very wet. And just the commitment from both teams was was unbelievable. But you could see the intensity go up. And the, just with the crowd noise, with chases and tackles. And I know, I know Geordie, uh, really lifted playing in front of a crowd. It's just a shame we've now now lost him for the next little period with his finger injury, but he he enjoyed it. And uh, I remember chatting to Will Oskin Elliott, uh, or it might have even been Geordie after the after the game. They kicked a goal, and they're so used to not celebrating with a crowd that they kind of just started trotting back. And then they heard the roar, and they kind of changed direction and went and engaged with the crowd, which which was great. Um, and then late in the game, and and after the game, the, the Collingwood chant reverberated around off the stadium, which is unique in itself, but just when the players walked around after the game and thanked the crowd, it just gave you chills just having having Collingwood people in the arena again. And again, it just emphasises how how much we can't underestimate the power of the fan and, and what it means to the mm-hmm. guys when they play. But I think we're lucky Optus Stadium is is an unbelievable stadium. We got to use uh, Fremantle's facilities for the first time. So their warm-up area and their change rooms, and it's it's just next-level quality what, they're, what they've got access to. At the ground, we got to use their coach's box, which is the most amazing setup I've seen at a 
at an AFL game, AFL ground, sorry, just with what they've got available to them. And and obviously down the bench, it's it's just a fantastic experience for staff and players and to, to see it packed with Collingwood supporters. And, and to be honest, Geelong had fantastic support as well, which made it a really good experience for, for the WA supporters who usually have to deal with the riffraff from Frio and West Coast. Um, they got to actually sit down and really enjoy a game of, of footy with a neutral crowd um, or not a neutral crowd, a 50-50 crowd. And um, yeah, all around great experience. Mm. Well, to just, just to touch on the... Um on the coach's box for a moment. Take us in there. What, what, what's in there that we don't have at the G, for instance? It's, it's mainly space. Like, it's just a monstrous space. Like You'd fit 30 people in there if you wanted to, but just the, the level of technology they've got available, I think there's just little things like um, being able to link any computer to any TV in there, um, which is just little mm. things for the setup for our, for our an- analytical staff. Uh, the viewing... Viewing area is unbelievable. It's just un like you're sitting right on top of the ground. You're right on top of the bench, but it's mainly just the space and the quality of equipment they've got in there. But mm. kind of just looking around, they've also got it wasn't in play on Thursday night, but they've got this coaches box corporate area where there's probably seating for about fifty or seventy people in between both the West Coast and Fremantle coaches boxes, where literally you can open up the curtains and they can be standing in behind the coaches box. They can pump the the live feed from the coaches box into this space if if that's what they want. I don't think any coaches would probably want to do that, but this amazing mm. corporate experience that they, they can give to their supporters from the coaching box experience, but it's just, it's just amazing. Um, access to the ground, you just jump on a lift and you're pretty much in the change rooms again. Um, the players themselves. So the players who don't play get, um, so access directly from a change room to a private viewing area for about 80 people, which is just, it's just quality. They've, they've just thought of absolutely everything at this venue. Um, so, yeah, very lucky to be playing our next two games there. Obviously, it'll be a bit different now that we're playing West Coast and Fremantle with the with the one-sided crowds. But um, as long as they don't let them into that uh, benchside bar, because that's where the bench staff, myself included, might get a bit heated towards some of the uh, local supporters once they've had a few bevies and and think they can tell us what's going on. So I think you've, <laughs> there's been a few incidents with the, uh, the benchside bar over the years. I think the Essendon... Final, there was a bit going on down there, and I think someone threw well, a drink had, on a player or something like that. We had an experience of our own when we when we went over and lost the the qualifying final of eighteen, and um, it was a great game. Um, the, the stadium was relatively new. I think it was the first final at the, at that stadium. It was packed. I think we were we were granted something like you know a couple of thousand out of the fifty eight thousand. Um, tickets and but for those who don't know the the team the home team west coast or free run through off the ground through fans on the inside not just on the outside so they run through what's like a guard of honor now these people have often been um let's say enjoying the hospitality tremendously by this stage um but the players run through it on their way out and then back in at half time then back out at half time then back in at the end of the game um, so if you're eight beers deep by then, things can get rowdy. And as they did on that occasion, uh, the, the players run back in and um, the crowd have a real go. And where they, they are also allowed to mass is around the area, a glass box, which is the uh, glass cubicle, which is the uh, media centre where the press conferences are held. So the opposition coach comes in, in our case, Nathan Buckley, 
Uh, we've narrowly lost. There's joyous West Coast supporters everywhere. And some of them are holding trays of beers as they watch the press conference, the contents of which is piped outside to them. So everything Bucks said on that occasion was being booed and or shouted down. We can hear it on the inside. We've got people banging on the glass, telling Bucks to um, perhaps leave the state in a hurry. And uh, uh, it was it was tremendously, it, it was intimidating. Um, and it's it's hostile. And this is for the coach post-match. This is like the fifth quarter, as David Parkin re- often referred to it, for the coach who has to sit there and listen to the home crowd go nuts while he's trying to calmly explain a defeat, which he doesn't want to be doing anyway, is is a challenge. It's um, But it is an amazing stadium, and um, I can see why players rise to the occasion. Um, it reminds me, Wags, of... Uh, Uh, I think it was Brent Croswell, a a figure from the 60s and the 70s, who famously said that, um, give me a wet and windy Witten Oval in front of 13,000 people and I'm nobody. Give me a full MCG and I'm Hercules. And I I reckon there's fertile, this is a fertile area for um, the psychologists in our game to work on um, the influence, positive or negative, of crowds. And we, th- we, we heard the noise of affirmation around, which I think Alan Richardson dubbed uh, the influence on umpires in Perth. But you see players who actually perform better with a crowd. Now, how do, we, how do we summon that out of them in front of smaller crowds? I don't know. But I think there should be some psychs. We have a very good one working for us. Put to work on this immediately. Um, trying to come up with a solution to find a, to, to find a way to get our, to our, our players um, feeling as if they're playing in front of a, a 90,000 MCG crowd every week. Fortunately, we are a lot of the time, but anyhow. Not this year. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good point, S. I think, um, I think it's just human nature, really. But what, what also threw up on Thursday night was we were kind of a bit, not not caught unaware by the crowd. It was just it was so different to what we'd experienced in the first six games that everyone was a bit excited. Like I was I was on the bench doing my role. I got a bit carried away in the first first uh, first quarter, and the guys had to tone me down a bit just because I was getting caught up in the in the uh, excitement of the game. But you see the players again. The communication became hard again because uh, of the crowd noise. So where we'd been able to yell out to players on the ground, we weren't able to do so anymore. So. Use Scotty Selwood, the runner, a lot more, um, a lot more messages to the guys on the bench because we just couldn't communicate with the guys on the ground like we had. But uh, yeah, funny story for you, Riles. At the start of the game, I was just just about ready to go. I had my rotation iPad ready to go, my stats iPad ready to go, had my coffee in my hand, got a bit excited, and spilt my coffee all over both iPads, which to the amusement of everyone on the bench. And then I got up to uh, to clean it up and managed to rip out all the cables on the bench as well. So I had an absolute stinker in the first quarter, Riles. But at least the boys, <laughs> boys, boys got off to a good start. And um, but yeah, no, I'm very glad. I think uh, Hayden Skipworth was standing next to me and he said, "I really hope someone's filmed that because that will be very funny." But burnt <laughs> leg, broken iPads, but we still managed to jump off to a good start. So yeah, well, uh, it was definitely that, exciting. I would, I would also, um, I think Nick Maxwell swearing might have been covered by the sound of the crowd. So he's. Uh, Usual very uh, vociferous uh, support from the from the dugout can get a little bit earthy at times. So maybe he was um, spared some blushes as well. As, um, as can my support as well, Roz. I think I'm 
Oh, that's tone down my language a little bit. Maxi, Maxi's got a very booming voice. Like Maxi is our uh, connection to Bucks up in the box, so he's he's pretty much a conduit to directly to the senior coach. So Maxi can get the booming voice going when he wants to. Um, but I think he's a bit he's, he has to stay in the back row now because of our social distancing on the bench. But he his voice mm. definitely projects well, Nick Maxwell. Yes. Now we're, we're bringing this podcast to you listeners on. Uh, as, as, re, as it's recorded on July 21. Uh, yesterday, July 20, uh, contracts, player contracts were uh, able to be negotiated once again. Um, for those who are unaware, the, during the, this, the, the, the time of the pandemic and the, the bizarre season we're having, it's, it, everything has been put into abeyance. It's been, there's been a hiatus for list managers, at, in, in our case, Ned Guy, who... Um, oversees our list management um, and TPP. There, no one's been able to, um, he hasn't been able to um, cement contracts with any of our players. But as of yesterday, he was able to. So WAGs, I think that it'll be interesting to see what develops from here. Um, I think there's probably been quite a few that have been done in principle um, around the league that just would be waiting to be announced. But with the CBA to be renegotiated, uh, I suspect inside the next month that, that that will start. There's a lot of uncertainty around what you can offer players. What are your thoughts on how the, how the next six to eight weeks plays out as we approach finals, for instance, and the, the tension on players who are out of contract um, intensifies? Um, there'll be a few competing uh, influences, I think. Yeah, it's it's a really tricky one, Riles, because um, whilst they've opened up up the contracting process, um, which was which is a big, I guess, negotiating tool for the PA to to sign off on these short turnaround games, which we're going to see post round nine. So we're we're anticipating four and five day breaks for most games post round nine, which has a challenge in itself, which we'll touch on a bit soon. But um, I guess that was that was the big negotiating tool for the PA. So that's opened up, but. What we still haven't got clarity on is is list size or the total TPP. So yeah, Ned's going to have his his work cut out for him to to just manoeuvre this space. But there's going to be probably a lot of caveats in place around what list sizes will be and what the TPP will be. But at least the, the discussions be, can be had now. And um, I think just just giving players an indication where they currently sit. But yeah, there's still a lot of waters to go under the bridge with with the actual rules around list size and TPP. So whilst it's open, yeah, things might not happen as quickly as what people probably think, but um, at least kind of you can have a bit more in-depth discussions now with management and the players themselves to, to at least get, get a look in for what, what 2021 may look like for them. But yeah, it's a, it's a unique situation where you're operating in a space where you don't actually have clarity on, on what the, um, what the framework's going to be. So um, yeah, touching back on the, on the uh, short turnarounds, and this is where I guess we're, we're at a big advantage is we've, we've got a pretty deep squad and with these short turnarounds, you're going to need to use a lot of your squad, particularly in the, in the roles where they're a bit more bash crash, um, high contact roles. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be using a lot of our squad over the next two months, which is, which is great given the fact we've had multiple multiple games, practice games against the opposition, which we I guess we got ahead of the curve on that and organized these games really early. So we've had we've had five practice games. Uh we've had practice game pretty much every week except last week 
which is, uh, I know a lot of teams have only had maybe one or two practice games. So our guys are primed, ready to go. Uh, we've got another practice game we've organised with West Coast this week after our AFL game at uh, at their headquarters at Lathlane Park. So our guys will watch the game from the hotel in the city. Uh, they'll get a bus to Lathlane Park, probably just as our game's finishing. And our staff who are working the AFL will then ship over to the practice game. So it's going to be a big day, but it gives our our guys who aren't playing AFL a real chance to put their hand up. And they're going to need to over the next month or two. And we've got some guys in, in really good form down there that mm. just will get their chance now. So we think we're in really good shape to whatever throw gets thrown up. And we've seen that with the guys who have come in, into the side, uh, R2, debut was was superb. Isaac Quain has shown amazing form in his in his return to the AFL squad, but it comes off the back of really solid practice game form. And that's what people don't probably realise as much is that if you, and these games are, are really hot games of footy because it's just AFL listed guys. It's 16 aside most times and it's blistering footy. It's been fantastic to watch because it's all guys putting their hands up to play. And, and so the guys are coming in, we're picking guys who are in really good form in, in the practice games and they're, they're showing it at AFL level. Like Nobes came back in and was really effective on Thursday night. Um, obviously when Shaz came back into the side before he went out injured, he, he was really rock solid. So we're picking guys on form, not just on on training form. So I think that's only going to be more important over the next few months. But the other part is, like, we're not going to be training at all fundamentally. So you'll we'll literally play, recover, and play. So our training will be playing. So um, hopefully we can continue these practice games when we get up to Queensland. Mm. But if not, then we've got to be rotating the squad because that's the only real training they're going to get. Um, but as I said, we're, we've got a pretty level squad. We've got great depth. Um, we're ready to attack what's ahead. And obviously, Geordie going out's disappointing. Um, but we've got real scope to, to replace and change the way we we go about it. Um, and we've got multiple ways to play as a forward mix now as well. Um, tall, small, combination of both. So, yeah, whatever whatever gets thrown at us, we're, we're pretty confident that we'll be able to tackle it. Yeah, no, I think it's been described. In fact, a lot, there's been a lot of discussion around this idea that the whoever wins the flag this year, or the teams that are going to do best, are the ones that cope with the mental um, challenges that are, that are posed by you know lots of travel, living away from home, um, all that sort of stuff, and away from families. And, but I, I do think that while that's true, I think it is going to be the uh, possibly. Uh, to a greater extent than ever before, uh, a squad flag, just because of the, the five-day turnarounds, needing to move players through your squad constantly to refresh it. It's very much a, a European or a, a football-style arrangement where you know the bigger squads generally survive through they're playing so many campaigns. It's that depth that that keeps them keeps them winning. Um, and if you look at you know where we had Tyler Brown, Bear Sire, Mason Cox, Steel Sidebottom, Josh Thomas. Shaz, um, Apples, Lyndon Dunn, you know, there's there's eight or nine players who have all played at the level. There's probably a couple more that I've, I've overlooked there, but um, who are, are, have played AFL football before. Um, we're not necessarily calling on, I mean, in some cases we're calling on players, you know, Steele's obviously a, a veteran, but JT's played 100. You know, Shaz has been in the system for a long time now. Um, um, you know, Lyndon Dunn's a veteran that that we can bring in um, to to give someone a spell or to take a, take over a role. I think um, uh, on the surface of it, anyway, we, we're meeting the mental challenges quite well. It seems, 
the, the spirit of the group's been good, but also the, the depth in the squad. And you mentioned Nobes. He, he absolutely chopped it up against Geelong um, the week before he came back in. He, he had a superb second half, which prepared him to step back in at a high level. And it was a very physical game. There were quite a few, as we uh, those who were there, we saw there were fights. There were <laughs> old school fights because the com- competition was there between players who think that they should be playing AFL footy um, against each other. And this is their only chance to really press their clients. So they go hard at it. It's, it's a, it's a really good preparation. So um, on that game, on that game rolls, the, the Geelong practice game. So yeah, that was played um, prior to our game against Hawthorne up on, up in Sydney. That was probably the best quality game of non AFL football I've, I've seen. They were, yeah, it was, it was hot. There was, Argy Bargy, I think Marky Keane was fighting everyone he could down in the Geelong forward line. <laughs> um, There's some great contests and, and you just saw how well it prepped our guys who came in and, and Geelong as well. Like Geelong, Jordan Clark was probably Geelong's best player on, on that day and he came in and, and looked really solid until he hurt his shoulder. Um, same with Jack Stephen. He, 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 um, he looked really sharp at, on, on Thursday night as well. So the games are worth their weight in gold. So we just got to find a way to continue, continue those. So hopefully we'll, or we've definitely got the game against West coast the following week. Hopefully we'll get a, a similar game against Fremantle. And that's two more games that prep us for when we get into these short turnarounds. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great to watch. It's great to see um, the guys who don't get selected. Also kind of the whole footy department pretty much gets down and watches them, which is great for them. So they feel like they're a part of the group and, and that's going to be pivotal. Like we're barely at the starting line for these hubs. We've got a long time to go. So it's going to be a, it's a fair management kind of exercise, but that's where the, the on off period when, when we're on, we've got to be on when it comes to training, but when we're off, we, we definitely giving players their, their space. We're not over prescribing activities or whatnot. We want them to, I guess, find their own way, but Guys are going to be on a, on this emotional roller coaster. Guys are going to have good days and bad days. We just have to be be mindful of that and kind of keep the group together as best we can. Um, it'll mm. be great. How Jez Howe's coming up to to Queensland, which will be great. He's currently in the quarantine hub in um, in Queensland, so he'll join the group. And and Howie's a genuine glue player, so the boys will definitely rally around Howie when he gets up there. Uh, and also Will Kelly will, after his uh, elbow surgery, will join us on the in, on the second wave. So we're going to have a complete complete group again which um in itself is is fantastic and these guys will will no doubt drive drive the players who are playing and, and help them but also we've got our whole kind of medical team up here and, and snc team so or, or big parts of it so they'll obviously fast track their recovery by being with us as well so yeah, it's it's exciting it's challenging it's kind of it's this unique roller coaster that we're on rails but um yeah, we'll, we'll keep trying to make it work um, Here's so another idea for you, Wade. We're looking Sorry. okay. Well, I, would, I know it's probably highly unlikely given the, the circumstances we're in, but I would love to see a motion analyst or a team of them track and study these 16 aside games. I know it's, an, it's, not, an, it's not a new issue, but it is, it is evidence that's available to us that I think at the moment is being lost or ignored. And it might be that we just don't have the, the industry doesn't have the staff to do it at the moment, given the circumstances. But those 16 aside games played competitively by good standard players is as close as we're going to get to a 
to it because it's it's hotter than preseason games, isn't it? it the, the the standard the the competition is fiercer than it is in a preseason game, which is typically when we try to evaluate new ideas. I, I think it would be worthwhile, if if possible, to um, schedule as many of these sixteen aside games as we can. A for the preparation of the players, which helps the the, the you know the the standard of the AFL itself. But to get an eye, or get a you know, use it as a window on what the future might be. Yep. Well, I might sound like a broken record on this on this pod, Riles, but massive fan of sixteen aside. I think it it can help the game. As as I said, like you you watch those games. You were at the Geelong game. You wouldn't even know they're sixteen aside. All you're seeing is a really good game of footy. Um, throw that in with the team prior opportunity, the shortened game, and twenty six round season. Riles, there's your there's your four fixes. So just keep ticking them off. When you speak to your media types, say 16 aside, team prior opportunity, 26 game season in shortened quarters, the game will be magnificent shape. So just keep chipping away, Riles. But you're, you've seen evidence of it, whether whether we get more more AFL types to those practice games, they are, they are the best, I guess, example and the best testing ground for, for what the game provides. Um, but yeah, and no, I've been been really impressed with how the game looks um, without, as I said, changing the fabric of, of what we know. Um, it's They've been really good games of footy played by really competitive players wanting to put their hands up for senior selection. So, yeah, you won't get a better sample size than that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, to, uh, to as we're winding our way towards the end of uh, this episode, um, it's time for our uh, sports book of the week. Well, you're going to have to intro yourself here, Riles. Like you're, you're, maybe I should intro you. You can't intro yourself on your book review. So, listeners, for this week's sporting book review, here is Stephen Riley. Thank you, Wags. Um, I would have, I could have something with a bit more of a drum roll or something. You know, give me a bit more. But anyway, um, no, I'm week, the drummer. Listeners. Remember, look, look at the song after the game, Riles. I am the drummer on the Powerade tub. That is my role. You will not get a drum roll. Well, there's an underwhelming intro, uh, nonetheless. Um, I'm hoping that the review itself will pick things up. But um, this week, listeners, I've, I'm bringing to you a, a, a collection of five stories um, all about tennis, uh, written by uh, an American by the name of David Foster Wallace. And... Uh, He's been described as the greatest tennis writer of all time. It's a very subjective thing, of course, but um, this collection was published in 2016. Um, it ranges, it, the pieces stretch from about the early 90s to about um, the early 2000s. Um, and you don't, uh, I'm not a great tennis fan. Um, I find a lot of it very uh, perfunctory and, and uninteresting unless it's at its best. And this is tennis writing at its best. Um, and he makes you, helps you understand the game in a way that I never thought was possible. You know, just by reading his work, I, I came to understand tennis or appreciate tennis in a way that I never thought possible because I'm simply not a great lover of, of tennis. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's um, a range of pieces, not just writing about the high end. He was a very good tennis player himself. He didn't quite make it. And um, he was also a great study uh, or someone who studied a lot of philosophy and 
And so the two things sort of come together in a lot of his work. But he, he wrote two, two pieces that in particular are in this collection that are considered uh, the high points of tennis writing ever. And um, the first was about um, uh, someone he competed against as an up-and-coming US player in the US um, by the name of Michael Joyce. And fundamentally, the story about Michael Joyce is that he's outstanding. He's on the on the on the the, the second tour, if you like. He plays the qualities, and he's the sort of this guy who who battles away to sort of make the main draw every now and again, once in a while. And he, you know, uh, and Foster Wallace explains to you in technical terms, but in artistic terms as well, how good this guy is, and he's not good enough. So it, it's one of those you come to appreciate at what level this, this guy is playing a game at a level only a few thousand people in the world could possibly play, maybe even fewer than that, maybe only 500, and he's not good enough. And so he writes from, and, and Foster Wallace himself was in that position, and he knows what it's like to battle away and, 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 and scrap for a win here and there that gives you a check that allows you to go to the next tournament. And um, it's, it's, uh, he defines in, that, in this piece all sorts of things, not just technical ability to play, but the challenge to keep summoning the competitive spirit, the, the, the perseverance, the, the, the need to you know, be resilient and keep going when you've just, you've had enough, you're defeated and you've had enough. And so there is that, that was, that book ends, um, that, that sort of was in an early 2000s, uh, early 1990s piece. And his other great high point was about Roger Federer. And the reason I'm mentioning the two of them, they're sort of companion pieces, if you like, in my mind, Federer faced all the same challenges that Michael Joyce did, but was great. And, and so it's about the piece on Federer, Federer is called Federer Both Flesh and Not. So he's the guy who faces all the challenges that Michael Joyce did and somehow got the, transcended them. And he became, and, and so again, in technical terms, but also in very human terms, flesh and blood terms, he explains his greatness and, and, and he's, the way he captures some of the play, you know, a single shot against Nadal, I think it was in the 1996 Wimbledon final, and he describes the physics of it and how the ball turns into an oval shape because it's got so much spin on it and it disappears over the net and Nadal never even gets to it. And he, he tries to explain to you, even to conceive of that shot, given the circumstances, he hits it from a millimetre or two inside the baseline, to conceive of that shot, let alone to execute it, it is how remarkable that is, and then the, um, the the confidence you must have in yourself to be able to do that. So it's it's he's um, if you've got a passing interest in sport, I recommend this incredibly highly um, because it's not just about tennis, um, and he writes about all sorts of other aspects of the game as well. But um, if you want to get some sort of deeper understanding of tennis played at um, suburban level and at the very highest levels, I can highly recommend, in fact, I can't recommend uh, more highly, String Theory by David Foster Wallace. Voila. Very, very nicely done, Ross. You, when it comes to books, mate, you you set the bar too high. You, you might just have to run this every week because I'm just an amateur hour when it comes to book reviews. That was exceptional. Um, and clearly, clearly some uh, cross-pollination with uh, AFL when it comes to resilience and and being a fringe player and, and making it or not. So yeah, I'll have to have to have a crack at that one, Riles. 
Well, I, I, so you're exactly right about the par- you know the, the connections into other sports. It's not. It's very easy to read it and think. I imagine someone in our squad feeling very much like Michael Joyce, and someone ver- feeling very much like potentially like Federer. You know, who's at in complete, complete command of their game, even just for a brief time. You know, and uh, you, the, the obvious parallel for us, if you're trying to compare a player to Federer, well, I, I wouldn't go that far. But we've got one bloke on our squad who's been what is it 11 top three finishes in our bnf um yeah best and fairest award copeland trophy um unparalleled sort of excellence if you like and rose there very quickly and i think he's the only player in the history of the game to have eight seasons of collecting more than 600 possessions and getting in the way at a clip that's incredibly efficient so um scott penalty everyone but um uh well this is like anyway, on that i think Referring to the pod, I think you're Federer and I am Joyce. There's nothing surer. Oh, well, if, if you must, <laughs> Marcus, if you must. <laughs> no, no, we're merely talking about the greats. We're not, we're not greats ourselves. So, um, it, but I, I, by all means, go out and buy it. It's a brilliant, brilliant um, read and uh, if you're a sports lover. Um, Marcus, um, we will be in, well, next out, we'll have one more pod from, from hopefully it's sunny Perth, uh, hopefully in victory in, in the, you know, the, the light of, a, of another victory over West Coast uh, this weekend. Um, what, uh, what have you got to leave us with? We, uh, to, uh, we've, we've probably uh, tested the patience of our listeners to, to this point, but. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll just wind it up. Riles, I reckon, I think we're very much looking forward to, uh, to kind of winding up here in Jindalove as good as it's been and getting getting back into some normality when we when we get to the city next week. But yeah, as you said, let's knock over um, West Coast first. That'll be a, a fantastic game of footy. It's our first, funny enough, first Red Bull game for the season, um, which is unique in itself. So it'll be a day game over here. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to that. And then uh, obviously West Coast back in really, really good form. Uh, they're back in front of their crowds. They're back with their family. So they're, they're up and about. So it's going to be a massive challenge and can't wait. And then, yeah, we'll join you from um, from our city hotel next week. Yeah, hopefully still still sunny. And then following that, we'll be up in Queensland and the roadshow continues. But, yeah, I think we'll we'll wind it up there, Rolls. If you want me to, I can do the, the sign-off if you'd like. But um, for all, this, all the listeners out there, make sure you – like and rate us and subscribe to us and tell us your, tell your friends. Um, we're on where all good podcasts are provided, so jump on, rate us. The uh, the inside swoop. And we might not be the only inside swoop on the podcast, but uh, we're the most uh, important, Riles. But um, jump on. Um, hopefully everyone's enjoying it, and uh, we'll catch you in about a week's time. Well done, Riles. Thank you, Wags, and a shout out to uh, to our uh, wizard. The man in the in the, the wizard's hat who produces this podcast for us, and uh, once again, uh, farewell, Adam McNichol. Cheers. Doing a doing a mountain of work, Wizfiz. That's a great shout out. He's doing a mountain of work, not only on the pod but filming all the great content on Collingwood Media. Killing it, Wizfiz. Great job. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>